The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where every single week for more years than I care to count now, we try to bring you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And you know what? We try to bring you the real information, even when it is counter to all the stuff that you are reading online in the various forums and social media pages and whatnot. And today is going to fall firmly into that category because we are talking about the Burr strategy by rehab rent, refinance, repeat, um, a strategy that uh, everything that I'm reading in all the forums on the internet, ha- that the people have just declared it dead. It doesn't work anymore. No, it was, a, it was a good thing while it lasted. You know, we invented it around 2017, and then uh, it was really great until interest rates went up to 8%, and now, oh, well, we got to go on and find something new. Yeah, okay. Uh, I think my guest today is going to have some serious disagreements with the online, quote, experts. Uh, he is Ed Bins, who is the president of Acre of Pittsburgh, a longtime housing provider and practicer of the birth strategy before there was such a name as the birth strategy. He's joining us from his home near Pittsburgh. Ed, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Thank you, Vaini. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, can hear you great. Thanks, Ed. Fantastic. Appreciate you coming here today, especially since you are, I know, deep into the preparations for a, an all-day Saturday workshop that you are teaching this weekend. That uh, a lot of a lot of real estate associate, well, not a lot, a dozen <laughs> real estate associations all over the country are participating in, and so folks should uh, go to their local RIA site and see if there's a bird workshop on your local RIA site on Saturday so that you can pay the super cheap member price, or if not, you can go to CincinnatiRIA.com and check out the agenda and whatnot, um, and like, the limitation of these radio shows, Ed, is we got 42 minutes, and if I'm still talking, Mike just turns off my mic and runs the next show anyway, <laughs> like, there's not, there's not, this isn't like a podcast where if we decide to talk for three hours, we can decide to talk for three hours, and... Of course, it is like any like any strategy. There's a lot to it, so we're going to do as much oh, as yeah. we can. We're going to do as much as we can in 42 minutes. Very good. 
So um, tell our listeners more about yourself and your real estate uh, career up until this point. Well, you covered the Pittsburgh part and you covered the acre part. So I've been interested in real estate investing since 1983 when Carlton Sheets had those wonderful <laughs> television shows on. Um, bought my first property in 1999. Yeah, there was some fear involved there. Um, dabbled in just about every exit strategy you could uh, think of until I finally landed on the one that I now do full-time as a full-time housing provider, and that is I buy and hold uh, single-family houses in the southern ha- southern half of the greater Pittsburgh area. Mm-hmm. So for those of our, us who are not familiar with the greater Pittsburgh area, are, do these houses fall into like the affordable rental, uh, B minus C plus C? What, what, what are we what are we talking about here so that folks have some uh, okay. perspective? Well, very similar to the, the entire Rust Belt, as I've heard it called before. But these houses range between, well, uh, say 100 to $150,000 is the high-end B-plus neighborhood. I started out in the C-plus neighborhoods where it was majority rentals and then gradually upgraded my stock until now I'm dealing with B-minus and B-plus properties with just a smattering of what I have left over from the other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, Three-bedroom, typically one-bath houses that rent mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. anywhere from, say, 800 to $1,200 a month. So when a when a when a really experienced real estate investor says I tried a bunch of things and this is what I landed on this this was the okay. one that most appealed to me the question uh, that always comes up in my brain is why what what is it that you like about those properties those areas that strategy oh um, I I used to work a W two job and got paid for every hour I put into it and I found out very quickly I didn't have an unlimited supply of hours. So I had to find something else I needed to trade to bring income in. And what I found out was is that uh, for a small investment of my time, I can get a continuous flow of cash every month that I can use to take my wife on long vacations and not have to worry about getting paid again that next month. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So That's the primary reason. <laughs> so 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 you decided that for for the for the same amount of work. It was better to buy, fix up, and keep a house than buy, fix up, and sell a house. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I already had a job. I don't need another one. (laughs) And and that's what – I'm sorry, but that's – the buy and hold strategy is the only investment strategy. Actually, it's the only strategy I consider an investment strategy. The other two, um, retail for – rehab for retail sale – and wholesaling are primarily businesses that you can establish. You can get wealthy with them, but it requires you to hire other people and to treat them as a business. They aren't technically investing strategies mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in yeah. my book. Technically, they're jobs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> until, you, until you do uh, take take the step that not, not many people do. Most people just keep, keep working that job. Uh, of hiring other people to do a lot of the day-to-day stuff. Right. So I'm I'm going to ask you one one more question before we kind of dive dive into how the strategy works and that is I don't I don't know why this is and I I'm guessing I mean you're the president of a real estate association too so you've probably heard this too in the last 2 or 3 months I have heard at least 10 times new investors say I am wholesaling or retailing because 
I know that the right strategy is buy and hold, but I need to wholesale and retail so that I can get the money to buy and hold. Do you agree with that or not? <laughs> um, not at all. Uh, just to give you an example, um, in 2013, my employer found it, uh, and found, figured out that I was better off served not working for them anymore <laughs> and forced me into, re- forced me into full-time real estate investing. So needless to say, I lost a significant amount of income at that same time. And yet I was still able to go out and working this, um, well, for no better purposes, the Burr method all the way back in 2013, I was able to put together a 48-unit portfolio in 48 months. And I didn't have a job to put bring money in, and I didn't have a whole lot of time to raise the capital either mm-hmm. on my own from a job. So, mm-hmm. no, it's you don't have to raise a whole lot of money before you can get into this. In fact, I can tell you that out of those 48 properties that I put into my portfolio, every single one of them was 100% financed by someone else. Mm-hmm. And that and that someone else did not have the word bank in their title. Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> Cause in I, fact, they didn't have the last name Benz either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I've noticed that, that uh, when, you're, when your uh, employer is kind enough to send you on to better things, uh, the b- people with the words bank in their uh, name are no longer really interested in you. <laughs> oh, yes, I was fully unemployed at that point and technically remain that way right now, according to the bank. (laughs) All right. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to explore how Ed believes that the Burr strategy is in fact not dead. It just has one too many R's in it. You can call your, you can call in your questions uh, at 877 Seven seven two nine six five eight again eight seven 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 two nine six five eight, or if you're still sitting at work and you think it might be a bad political move to be calling a real estate show on your boss's time, you can also send an email to askvina at gmail dot com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing, talking today about the Burr strategy, sort of. With Ed Benz, who is an investor in the Pittsburgh area and president of Acre of Pittsburgh. It sounds like it's not a real estate association, but it actually is a real estate association. Long story behind that name. Um, so, Burr strategy. Okay, first of all, I need to know whether you think it's as hilarious as I do that so many people think the idea of buying, rehabbing, renting, refinancing, repeating is like six years old. <laughs> well, I, I will tell you it's a strategy I first heard about when I joined my my local RIA back in 2004, and I learned it from a mentor who had been doing it for 20 years prior to me. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it is actually humorous that, people are treating it as a brand new strategy. And what I find is mostly it's the people who are new themselves mm-hmm. trying to promote something they just learned and put a, a nice new acronym to. Well, you know, if you can come up with a new aim for an old strategy, it does sell books. I agree. I will say that for it. So obviously 
even in your world, it goes back to the 1980s, and it's actually a lot older than that. I mean, if you if you read some of the of the truly classic real estate books from the 1950s and 60s, they kind of talk about the same thing. But the the the, the question is, it has to have been around for so long for a reason, and and how is it better? Than the way most people think about acquiring rentals, which is I have to save up 20% and then I have to go to the bank, make a down payment, buy a house, and then save up another 20% and then go to the bank and then buy another house. How, how is this better than that? Well, the message you were just talking about where you save up 20%, if you were to actually do it quickly be able to save up the 20% quickly, which is one of the limiting factors is just how long it takes to do that. But even if you were able to save up 20, 20% down payment, once you got to the bank and tried to get somewhere around four to five, the bank's going to look at you the same way they look at me now mm-hmm. as a three-headed monster that they don't want to deal with because for some reason they prefer the newbie with no properties over someone who has experience <laughs> And a number of properties. So that in and of itself makes it a limited strategy. But then I found that, as I was referring to before, I built a 48-unit portfolio in 48 months to replace an income that I wasn't prepared to lose right away and was able to do it all with 100% financing. And to me, saving up zero versus saving up 20% is just a much easier approach Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to buying and holding real estate. So yeah, those of you, those of you guys who've been doing it, the, the, the quote, uh, traditional way that that's fine, but it it is slow and limiting. Just, just the, like I, I was sitting here trying to think of how, how much it would, how long it would take me to save up a down payment on a rental, the kind of rental that I like to buy and from my, from like income. Right. And the answer is if I could pull off two of those a year, it would be a miracle. And most people have done the math. Most people who are getting into real estate have done the math and they figured out that the sooner they buy rentals, the sooner they start paying them off and the sooner they get the growth from the appreciation and the sooner and that, you know, if you can do what you did and do 48 in four years, that actually puts you in a much better place in 15 years than buying 48 over those 15 years. Cause that, that, yeah. that last one you bought, you're just starting to pay off the, the mortgage and you haven't had the benefit of appreciation. You paid a lot more for it because it was 15 years later. So, well, yeah, that's that's actually um, even a lot better because back then I was able to actually use a five-year loan because of the prices I paid for them. So five years after I stopped putting it together, I had 48 paid-off rentals. Mm. And that was the beautiful part of everything because you want to talk about an increase in cash flow. Wait till they all pay off. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the, the speed that you can actually generate the rental income coming in is the faster that you can reach – the freedom to just go and do what you want to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's where the 100% financing just made it that much better. Well, let's um let's let's break down burr. It okay. just it just occurred to me that there might be people out 
there who uh, don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> They're like, is she cold? Yes, I am, but that's beside the point. The B is for buy, right? That's the first stage. And it, it sounds like from what you just said that the first key to making the whole strategy work, because there's a bunch of steps to it, is buying at the right price to start with. And that That's, probably means not full retail price, no matter what's going on in the market. Well, that's correct. I can probably say that uh, to this day, the only house I bought off the MLS is the one I live in. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the houses that I end up acquiring, the seller is suffering from one of the four Ds. Um, that is death, disability, divorce, and I can't say the fourth one, so you fill in the blank. Um, something has happened in their life that has made them become a motivated seller. They cannot actually afford to repair the house to get it ready for retail sale. They just want to be done with it because it's an emotional drain on them, and they just don't understand how to do what I do, so they're willing to sell it to me at a significant discount. Mm-hmm. And when I started wholesaling back in 2013, which is how I temporarily replaced the income, you get good at negotiating with people, understanding their problems, and becoming a problem solver. And you can buy houses significantly below retail that you can then get 100% financing on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now that I've graduated a little bit and no longer have to do wholesaling full-time, I just trust wholesalers to bring me those deals. Mm, okay, because that was, that was the next question I was going to ask you, <laughs> was how how are you sourcing below-market deals and well, it, like i said it's it's original i'm sorry go ahead well you're letting so so originally you were marketing to the folks yeah. who who had these but now you're letting other people market and bring them to you yes and I, I let people do their job which is what wholesaling is and they bring me properties the only other significant source of houses that i have is word of mouth mm-hmm. a small side note i actually have seven rentals that are within one house of where I live because mm. all my neighbors know what I do and they've just asked me if I was interested in buying their house because they didn't want to sell to a realtor and I gave them a good deal. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, I can word of mouth and dealing with the wholesalers. It's where all my properties are coming from now. Okay. So, because cause, uh, from the little that I, I paid attention to about the Burr strategy back when interest rates for investors were 5%, Mm-hmm. A lot of them seem to be recommending that you you basically could pay full retail in the sense that you were you were paying like what the house was worth less the repair costs, or pretty close to that, right? Maybe you're getting a five percent discount when you were finished, and uh, that probably actually did work at five percent interest in most cities with with most house prices and rents, but. Uh, you you are buying things that need work and that are in distressed situations. Can you give us an idea of like roughly what what percentage of value you're looking to pay, or does that even matter? Uh, it's a secondary concern for me. Um, I'm very familiar with that maximum allowable offer equals seventy percent of the ARV minus repairs strategy. I try to stick within that, but what determines how I buy? is more what cash flow I can get and that's based off of the rent that a unit can you know, a unit can take in. 
Um, I my most recent purchase uh, house in a B plus neighborhood was about ARV hundred fifty thousand, and based on the financing that I had in place for it, I was able to pay eighty thousand for it, and I minimal repairs because the strategy there was a lease option where the resident can come in and make whatever improvements they want to make, and I didn't have to do very many to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So a repair for equity type deal yes. and, and not needing a lot of repair. Well, no repair from you. <laughs> right. It was livable when I when I purchased it, correct. It was just dated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So by right is step one, but it sort of also sounded in there, like as you're doing your evaluation, you're, you're looking at the price, but you're more looking at the rent potential. And you said something about it depends on my financing. That's correct. And if you want to go there, that is my uh, primary concern with the way that they present the Burr strategy lately. And that has to do with the last R, which is refinancing. Mm-hmm. If I had to, well, let me rephrase that. Since I am presenting on Burr Method, I have actually changed what the acronym means to me. And the acronym no longer stands for Buy, Rehab, Rent, Refinance, and Repeat. It stands for Buy with the Right Financing in Place, then Rehab, Rent, Repeat. Mm-hmm. One of the concerns I have with that refinance is it's sort of like taking your rental portfolio to the casino and rolling the dice on whether you're going to make money on it or not. If you, It's very hard to tell what your cash flow is going to be if you don't know what expenses you are going to have on the property. And there are um, eight well, depending on your strategy, six or eight different expenses that come out of your rent every month that you have to account for. They are principal, interest, taxes, insurance, maintenance and vacancy, management and utilities. If you're doing a single-family home and you're managing it yourself, the last two aren't that important. They should be zero. But the principal and interest is typically the largest of those expenses that you're taking out of your rent every month. And I just don't understand how you can determine if you're going to be profitable from the very beginning if you don't know what those numbers are when you start. Mm -hmm. And I've seen a number of different scenarios where somebody gets into a rental property thinking that they're going to cash flow, and then they end up with a negative cash flow. And at that point, that's not an investment to me. That's a liability. I don't want to have to pay every month to keep a house. I already do that with my personal residence, and I don't want to continuously do it or I'll be bankrupt for too long. Mm-hmm. So the, the general the general birth strategy is, uh, so let me say, the point of the general birth strategy is that you end up all in on the property at about 80% of the after-repaired value. So that when you refinance, you can take out the hard money loan that you got at the beginning, because that's, that's, that, that's part of the way the strategy is taught is borrow money at 10, 12, 14% interest to do the purchase and repairs. You'll have to put about 15% of your own money in. And then at the last 
at the second to last star, which is refinance, you go to the bank, you get all that back and have no no cash left in it and the hard money loan is gone. And that is risky when the Fed chairman announced today <laughs> that he's not not going to <laughs> raise raise interest rates another half a point uh, the next time they meet. Like there, there's actually a big difference in payments between uh, what you might be calculating today. At, you know, you might be saying, "Well, I can pay eight percent interest," and what it might be a year from now when you can refi, which could be nine percent. Correct, and that assumes that nothing else goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, somebody once told me that you know there are two rules when it comes to bank. The first rule is there are no rules, and rule number two is referred to rule number one. I mean, I've constantly been at RIA meetings where one day a bank is loaning 80%, 90% on investment properties, and then the next month they disappear and they're not lending on them at all. You know, And then I see one day where they're saying they can do a 600 credit score, and the next day they're saying 800 minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen situations where people will take a HELOC out on their home and then use credit cards to do the repairs. And in that process, they've taken their credit score that they were counting on to get this great 5% financing or whatever it was that they were talking about. And all of a sudden, now they either can't get approved or their, you know, their interest rate is just way too high. And the general rule that I see with that is the fact that it's, Volatile. It's a very volatile situation to put yourself in. And unfortunately, just from observing a lot of new investors, most new investors are not fast at getting their first, second, or third projects done. Typically, you're talking nine months to a year because they're dealing with some fear. They're dealing with learning curves as far as um, dealing with contractors, project management, what repairs to make. And I mean, we just saw what I think it was like three percentage points go up here over a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I just don't like that volatility, <clears throat> especially when my cash flow is dependent on principal and interest payments being known when I figure it out in the first place. Mm-hmm. Now, Ed, um, I was going to ask you how you are financing. of these deals and not having to refinance them, but I'm not going to ask you that. And here's why. At the moment, I have zero questions in my inbox and people ought to be asking all kinds of questions about this at askvina at gmail.com. So until a listener asks, you're just going to keep that under your hat. That sounds like a winner to me. (laughs) And we're going to, we're going to, we're going to take a break. Uh, listeners, if you have questions about anything about Ed's strategy that let him buy 48 properties in 48 months, uh, give us a call at 877-772-9658 or send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, talking today to Ed Benz, who is giving us a bit of a different view on the way to buy lots of rentals pretty fast and also not have to 
be uh, subject to the whims of interest rates, the economies, uh, etc. Um, the, some some uh, emails just uh, did appear in my inbox, and I haven't had time to read them yet. But we know people are listening <laughs> after after I basically threatened them. Um, I I do want to I do want to talk about uh, sort of the next stage here, Ed, because it, 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 I don't know people to people tend to focus on the buy part and the refinance part, and those other R's are really important. Like you, oh, yes, you can't are. do this properly if you don't have the rehab part and the rent part right. And I know you have a particular take after all these years and all these properties on what rehabbing right means when the property is going to be a rental. Can you share that with us a little bit? I can share some of it. I don't think you have enough time for all of my little idiosyncrasies I do, but sure. Um, the one thing that I've learned and the reason that it took me two years to get my first property done is because everything had to be perfect. And it didn't take me very long to find out that perfect. It didn't matter. In fact, you really just need to get over the fact that you're not going to be the one living in the property. You don't have to have it ready for a first time home buyer with granite countertops and silent non slam kitchen cabinets. It just has to be livable. You know, the property doesn't need to have every single defect in the wall taken care of. Just, you know, smooth it over with, with either caulking or texture the wall and let's move on. There is absolutely no reason whatsoever to gut a rental property. Three-eighths drywall and four-inch screws will cover over 99% of any problem that you have, including plaster that's falling off the wall. And it's just real easy. You take the baseboards off. Put the drywall up, put the baseboards back on, paint it, texture it, whatever, and you're done. Mm-hmm. Um, other things in the rehab process that I found, um, when I use carpeting, and I try to avoid that at all costs, but when I do use carpeting, typically only in bedrooms, I don't put padding down. I found that padding is nothing more than a sponge that just soaks up everything that is spilled onto it and keeps it for when they move out, and you have to deal with it. Um, I just put it down straight over a hardwood floor. Um, those little indentations you get when furniture sits on it for too long, you can just take a fork and drag them right back up again, and your carpet's good to go. Oh, and the steam cleaner goes through it all the way and pulls everything back up from all through. You get a much longer life out of carpeting, and it's just so much easier to deal with. Mm-hmm. You want me to stop there? You want me to keep going? Well, you're so 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 basically, you're you're rehabbing to have a nice place for someone to live but not trying to make it into a place that a homeowner would would buy necessarily and it sounds like some of this is really about controlling your future maintenance costs because like granite countertops beautiful really easy to damage ask me how i know (laughs) (laughs) i i I put a i put a pot full of water down too hard on the edge big chip in the granite nothing you can do about it except replace a very expensive granite countertop, right? Um, right. And you've got a you've got something now that a, a, a really nice Formica countertop, almost indistinguishable from granite until you touch it. <laughs> and and yet that's you know that's not going to happen in a in a Formica countertop. So like thinking this through, I've seen people 
uh, rehab, the kind of rental you're talking about, like a B-class rental, and do things like take away some of the bedroom to triple the closet size because they're, they like a really big closet. But oh. what they've really done is they've made it more inconvenient for, uh, for somebody with a king-size bed to live in that bedroom. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, as far as my rules for rehabbing goes, first of all, I told you I don't gut. I try to avoid any changes to the structure at all, unless it's something that somebody did to it that just made it totally unlivable. Other than that, it stays the way it is, and if there's not a closet in the room, we'll go buy a hutch and put it in there and just attach it to the wall. That that serves as the closet requirement. Um, our rules, as far as uh, the property goes, the property just needs to be clean and livable, and it just has to be slightly better than what our competition is doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, materials. Here's how we select materials for them. First of all, they need to be durable. That's the primary one. Then they need to be easily maintained and clean. That's the next step. Finally, they need to be easily replaceable. Because if you think you're going to keep a property for 20 years and not replace the flooring, eh, once, twice, three times, uh, you got the wrong idea. And finally, and this is the one that is a mantra. It's funny. They, all of my guys that work for me know this one. It has to be the lowest cost option after the previous three are considered. <laughs> <laughs> got to keep those costs down. So we want good and, stuff that's easily available, that's durable, that's easy to clean, and then whatever's left, get what's cheapest. <laughs> Exactly right. And uh, the big box stores have, and if I have to put a kitchen in, the cabinets they have sitting on the shelf are more than adequate for it, whether they're white or the natural colored wood. They work fantastic. The Formica countertops, six, eight, or ten feet, they're fantastic. Um, if we're replacing a kitchen, there's no such thing as a custom design. It is a straight length of countertop. And whatever length fits in there between the six, eight, and ten that we can fit in there, that's all they get. Mm-hmm. A couple wall cabinets and our kitchen's done. Mm-hmm. If we're forced to do that, we're putting in just your base base style kitchen. It all has to be, you know, it's it's a lower dollar operation than a uh, you know rehab for retail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're selling. We're, we're we are our customers are completely different mm-hmm. there, uh-huh. and our yeah. rehab reflects it. Yeah, because you're, you're, one of the things about your customers is they are price sensitive. So they're not going to pay, they can't pay an extra two or $300 a month rent to get the custom kitchen, which is what you'd, you'd need to charge to even like pay back that custom kitchen. They would, I think in general, I, I guess in an ideal world, they'd like to have the custom kitchen at the same rent as all the other houses in the neighborhood, but Given the choice, I find that people usually prefer, you know, give me something that looks good, that's clean, that's livable, that's easy for me to clean, and that I can afford. Exactly. All of those things. So, um, yes, we did, we did get actually four different emails about how you do this, but I'm, I'm going to read the one that is my favorite because the subject line is, what? <laughs> this one, this one's from Kyle. And, and listen to how he put the question because he, the, you know, you, you said, I don't refi. His question is, so what do you do when it's time to refi? How are you getting that end of deal financing locked in ahead of the purchase and rehab? Because of course we want those rehab costs to come back to us. 
Okay. And you see, that's, that is, I, I expect that question, especially from newer people, because most of them have never been exposed to the most lucrative source of financing there is out there. Um, you know, I'm the president of a uh, real estate investors association. I do it partially on the goodness of my heart, but also I do it because it makes me a whole lot of contacts. And what you need to understand in that room is that the people in that room are not all new. I, in fact, just to give you an example, I, I was giving a presentation yesterday on this exact same subject to Maria, and I just looked around the room and I asked this question. Okay, if you have an IRA that you control with more than $10,000 in it, raise your hand. Over half the room raised their hand. And because of that, you can actually go and take loans from member, other members of your RIA and use them to purchase your first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and just keep going rental and repeat mm-hmm. over and over and over again. Okay, well, let me, let me tell you what a thousand listeners are thinking right now. Yeah, but all those guys only want to loan money for a year, and they want to loan it for at 14% interest. How can you afford that? Okay, most of those people are not looking for another job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but most people who are lending the loans that I'm doing are not hard money lenders. Hard money lenders is a business by itself, and it requires you to work really hard to find people to borrow money at 15% only to have them return it in six months. These people I'm talking about are real estate investors who have retirement funds sitting doing poorly relative to their other investments in real estate. They are looking to get a better return, and we are talking anywhere from 6 to 8%. 10% if they're really knowledgeable and know what they can do. Okay, And they are happy to put it out there at 10% and let it stay that way for the life of the loan. Mm-hmm. In fact, some of them get mad if you try and pay them back. <laughs> oh, and they put it in my note. They put prepayment penalties in my note. If I want to pay off early, I'm paying them more. So, yes, there is, an, and, I'm, and this is something that I have had to repeat over and over again because we're regularly getting newer investors in there. Your financing is the least of your problems. If you have the knowledge on how to do this business, there's an unlimited amount of money available to you to do it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, Ed, we need to take a a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to question you a little bit more about this from the perspective of the new investors who have only heard people at their meetings saying, I want 14% interest in four points and I'm only willing to loan you the money for six months or a year. Uh, and then we'll go to some other questions. If you have one, you have a minute here to get it in at askvina at gmail.com. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Talking today to Ed Benz about uh, his version of the Burr strategy, which has a different R in it than the normal version of the Burr strategy. But um, he's, he's, he's tried it and it's true. And we're going to go to your questions here in a moment, but, uh, Ed, it's, it, it is the case that like at buy, sell, trade and exchange meetings, the people who have money who speak up about it are usually trying to get rid of it 
because they just got it back because this is what they do at double digit interest rates and only for a very short period of time. So for the, for the new investors going, well, there's nobody like that at my group. How do you, there are people like that at your group, but how do you find them? Well, um, there's two ways that I would recommend doing it. The first one is to actually show up early at the networking sessions and just start talking to people. I just yesterday, to prove a point to a new investor, I walked around the room with him in tow, walked up to three different people, introduced myself to them, told them what I was looking for, and asked them if they had any investment money. And in five minutes, found $25,000 I could borrow from one, 50 from another. And then I found a really nice one who said that if the properties were right, he felt comfortable with them, he'd be willing to go up to $500,000. So in a matter of five minutes, I was able to source $550,000, give or take. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Oh, and, 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 and by the way, you were doing that as a demo. That's not the recommended way for new investors to build relationships. Agreed. <laughs> don't, don't, Agreed. Go, don't go I around and say, you got money? Of, <laughs> doing it as the president of Acre to prove a point. But if you are a new investor, you should be out there networking, looking for a number of things. And with that, you will run into people who have money available. If you're not comfortable doing it at Urea, start closer to you. Start closer. Start talking to the people at home. Start talking to your friends, your family. What you don't understand is that the, their other options are so much poorer in performance that if you know what you're doing, you can actually give them a better return. And, I mean, 10% was my high number. I've seen it as low as 4 and had somebody actually give me interest only at 2 Mm-hmm. That didn't know what didn't know anything else about what I was doing except that I was able to give them better than their CDs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Talk with people. You can actually find other things besides the money. You can find a mentor who may be able to help you get it done. An informal mentor only. Don't pay anybody to do that. You can find people. You can find contractors while you're in the process of networking. You find everything you need at your RIA, and as part of it, establish relationships so that when you come across that deal. And that's the key right there when you're at your RIA, which is only one of the four ways I've got of finding money for this. But when you're at your RIA, it's the deal that's important. In fact, I jokingly tell everybody I lend money to, I'm almost hoping you don't pay me because I like that deal and wouldn't mind owning it myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they're willing to loan on it strictly based on the deal. Mm-hmm. And if you ask them nicely, they'll actually help you get it done right, too. Mm-hmm. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave the other three ways that you raise money for your all-day seminar on Saturday because we have like two minutes left and we have two more uh, questions in the inbox. Um, actually, one of them is a question. One of them is from Kevin, and he says, enjoying the show, looking forward to Saturday. Um, by the way, if you're listening and you're like, what's Saturday? First, go to your own RIA site and see if it's on their calendar. It's a it's a seminar called How to Burr in, the, in 2023. Um, and if it's not there, you can, uh, you can go to CincinnatiRIA.com and sign up through Cincinnati RIA. Um, question from Barry. Oh boy. Barry wants to get into the weeds on this. <laughs> he says, I heard wh- how Ed, what Ed does for kitchens, but I want to know how he handles appliances, white or stainless. <laughs> <laughs> 
I've already covered that. <laughs> Lowest cost option. <laughs> so white, fact, okay. I, w- I will tell you that, yes, most of my appliances are white and most of them are used. Mm-hmm. I don't even buy new appliances because I have actually found a way that I don't have to repair them once they're installed. Okay, so he's got other questions. Uh, does he always put them in a in a microwave vent hood over stove, or never, or just a vent? Oh, we're get really going into the weeds here. <laughs> they get a vent hood because it's required by law. I don't put microwaves in. That's one more thing I have to repair, mm-hmm. and I don't want to repair it. Mm-hmm. And do you find that most most tenants kind of drag their own microwave from place to place anyway? No, most tenants leave them for me and buy new. When I get when I get places back, the microwave's typically sitting on the counter, and I have to dispose of it. Ah, okay. But no, I don't install microwaves. They bring their own. Okay, so literally 30 seconds left, Ed. If somebody was listening to you right now and was going, uh, I yeah, this is this is definitely something I want to do. Um, other than attending your class on Saturday, what would you say to the, the poor guy who's been looking at all the stuff on the line going, it doesn't work anymore? What advice would you give him? Get actively involved in your local real estate investors association. You will learn so much there that you can't help but succeed. That is a good piece of advice. And once again, ladies and gentlemen... Ed Benz, my guest today, doing an all-day seminar for a limited number of real estate associations this Saturday. Go check your RIA's website, see if you can get on it for a member price. It's uh, it's um, online, so you can come from anywhere in the country. Otherwise, go to CincinnatiRIA.com and you can get signed up that way. We will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.